Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, Third Street family. I am uh, KT, one of the pastors here at Third Street, and it is my honor to continue in our series today, which is the Psalms and the Key of Life. Um, we, we started off with a dish a couple of weeks ago, and he introduced us to the song in the Psalms. And then last week, Corey uh, led us in a, a good word of the understanding of why David wrote the Psalms that he wrote and all that good jazz. And this week I will continue in the Psalms in the key of life. And we're going to be in Psalm chapter 23. It's a very short passage. But it is probably one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Um, you guys could probably tell that by how many different times I've talked about the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. So this is this is what it says. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. I am easily distracted very very easily distracted um i can remember i can remember this one time i was talking to my wife i had left my work and i was talking to my wife on the phone and just me talking to her while i was driving distracted me at the time i was working in akron but we lived here in canton and all i was supposed to do was go around the corner grab something to eat because it was my lunch break and then i was supposed to come back in I was talking to my wife for 35 minutes. For 15 minutes, I was sitting in my driveway. And then I went to get out of my car and I was like, babe, I didn't drove back to Canton. I had to get back in my car and drive all the way back to Akron where my job was. So I was late. But I am very easily distracted and it's been like that since I was a kid. I can remember when I was in sixth grade the last grading period of my sixth grade year, I got straight F's in an A in gym. I had an F in every single class that they allowed me to enter into, except gym. And when I came home to give my dad my report card, he was, he was upset. And uh, he said, you're on punishment until your next report card come out. It was the fourth grading period. So it was June, first week. The next report card don't come out until the middle of October, beginning of November. And he was dead serious. So I called my mom. Mom, my dad tripping. He talking about, I got to stay on punishment for the next five months. Mind you, this is the summertime. We didn't have no AC. I'm sitting in this hot room all of June, 
all of July. And he wasn't one of those type of parents where he says something in his anger and then he later on he took it back and I only ended up being on punishment for a couple weeks. I was on punishment for five months. I kid you not. So a lot of times when, when, when we're distracted, we, 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 we make bad choices. Me, when I was real young, I would be distracted and it would lead me to getting in trouble. The older I got, the less trouble I got into. But the, 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 the ADD or whatever it was that I had, probably still have, it, it caused me to not just pay attention in class, leading to the horrible grades, leading to the punishment. So if you were anything like I was when I was a kid, you left the person who was punishing you and you went to a space that was far enough away from the person that's punishing you and you cussed them out with every whisper that comes out of your mouth. So when I went to my room after I was on punishment, I let my dad have it, but I was whispering. I hate this mother. Next time somebody say, I look like him, I'm like, I don't look like him, he ugly. Act like he ain't never got a bad grade before. Act like he ain't never messed up before. How you gonna punish me? I'm running away. But at the end of the day, I really thought that eventually my dad was going to let me off punishment. A couple months goes by, still on punishment. Trauma. It's traumatic, ain't it? So the second stage that I went through after my anger was over with was my I'll never do it again stage. So this is when I would go to my dad and I'd be like, Dad, I promise. If you would just let me out my room, it's 136 degrees in there. You ain't give me no fan. We don't have no AC. I'm in there losing weight. If you would just let me out, I promise, I'm not going to miss no homework. I'm, I'm going to get an A on everything. I'm, I'm going to listen. I'm not going to play around in class. I ain't going to play around in the hallway. Matter of fact, I'm not even going in the hallway. When the bell rings, I'm going to climb through the ducts in the vents to get to my next class. If you would just let me off of punishment. That, that posture that I had with my father because I was distracted so easily in class, it kind of led to the, the posture that I ended up having with God because I was so distracted so easily in my life. Where I went through that, I didn't messed up. Now I'm reaping what I've sown, so now I'm angry with God. And as soon as I get a little bit far enough away from God that I can actually let him know how I feel. Then I would get over that angry stage and I would get to the stage in my life to where now I'm making promises that I really can't keep. But I'm just hoping that my life will get a little bit better. So I'm saying, God, if you would just bless me, I promise you I won't do that again. I promise you I won't talk to her again. I promise you I won't smoke that again. I promise you I won't drink that again. I promise you I'll act right. I'll talk right. I'll do everything that I'm supposed to do if you would just bless me. How have you been distracted in your life? What has distracted you? Not necessarily from God, but from what God has been telling you to do. It's not really that we walk through life distracted from God as believers. We think about him. He's constantly on our mind. But what has been distracting you from doing what you're supposed to do? There's a scripture and it says, cast all your cares 
upon him and he will care for you. And it, it, it jumped into my mind when I was preparing for this message. And those who've heard me preach before, you know, like I'm a stickler for words. And I've seen that it said care twice and it didn't make sense to me. So if I give him my cares, then he will care for me. There has to be some type of difference in these words, but in the English, we just know it as care. So I looked it up and in the Hebrew or the Greek, rather the first care just means distraction. So Peter is saying this, everything that's distracting you is keeping you from the thing that God is trying to give to you. And if you could give away the things that are distracting you, then you will be capable of being cared for by God. Everybody in here has been in that situation to where you're driving and you're looking at your map and your map is telling you everywhere that you're supposed to go. And right when you get to a space or a place to where you don't really see the thing that you or you see the thing that you, you need to make a left or a right at, but you don't know this area. And right when the map is about to tell you where you're supposed to go, somebody call you. And if your phone's like my phone, the map goes away completely. And the name of the person that's calling you hops on the screen. And if you hit end when your wife calls you, it don't matter whether you lost or not. You're going to have some explaining to do if your wife is anything like mine. So now you have to answer the phone and be lost. Because by the time you do the little thing on the iPhone and swipe left and, and finally hit that map and come back up, it's reloading. You didn't, you didn't pass the street that you were supposed to turn on. Sometimes in life, things have been distracting us right when God is telling us the turn that we're supposed to be making. And instead of hitting the ignore button, because the thing that you are being distracted by all of a sudden becomes more important than the direction that you're supposed to be going in. So now you're worrying about if you're doing the right thing for God, but on the phone with the thing that's distracting you. But he says, cast all of those distractions upon me so that I can take care of you because you're taking your eyes off of me. Now you're distracted. Now you're lost. Now you're frustrated. Now you're having suicidal thoughts again. Now your marriage ain't what you thought it was going to be. Now your children ain't acting the way that you expected them to act. Now it's fear. Now it's anger. Now it's depression. Now you're lost. And he's saying, keep your eyes on me. There's a scripture that says, the sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. It goes on to say that another word is sowed on stony ground. It don't have no, no root on the stony ground. So soon as the things that come to distract you come, that word is taken away. Then it says another word is sown in between the thorns. And it says afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And the cares of this world 
and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The cares that Jesus uses in Mark is the same care. It's the same exact Greek word that Peter uses when he says, cast all your cares. Jesus says the same thing in the gospels. The things that are distracting you, they're choking the word. They're keeping you unfruitful. In a season that you're supposed to be bearing fruit, in a season that you're supposed to be doing what it is that I've called you to do, the things that have been distracting you are keeping you away from bearing fruit. And people are looking for you for nourishment. What does Jesus do when he sees the tree that's in season but out of fruit? The withered tree. He says, this tree might as well be dead completely because it's supposed to be bearing fruit right now, but I see nothing for the nourishment of my people. Have we become that unfruitful tree because of the distractions of our lives? When all he really wants us to do is be in tune with his word, to touch his word, not just for his people's sake, but for your sake. When you look at the woman who has the issue of blood, she was probably so distracted by what everybody else was saying, by what the doctors were saying, by what her neighbors were saying, by what the community was saying. But she was so willing to be cared for by Jesus that the Bible says she reached out in the midst of her haters, in the midst of her enemies, she reached out and touched the hem of his garment. Now, it's something special about the hem of Jesus' garment. There's something special about the robe that Jesus would have worn in that period of time. It, it, it had these tassels at the end, these like dangly things. Sometimes if you go to specific churches, you'll see people, they're called prayer cloths and they'll wrap them around themselves and they have these like tassels type things at the end. Those things are supposed to be symbolic of the word of God. They're supposed to be symbolic of the law of God. So Jesus, him would have had tassels on the end. So what the Bible was saying was when she got to a place to where she was no longer distracted by the people who were telling her that you're sick, the people who were telling her that you're just going to die this way, the people that were telling her, don't be around us. You're not worthy. You're unworthy, actually. And it's probably your fault. The reason why you're going through what you're going through. When she got through with being distracted by those people and she had enough strength to get to the Lord, the Bible says when she reached out and touched his word, when she reached out and touched the word of God, she was made whole. But some of us have been distracted. We're distracted, but at war. Just imagine what David would have been like going against Goliath. Something stronger than him, something bigger than him, but distracted. Distracted, but lost. We're distracted, but broken. Some of us are distracted and something. You're distracted and you're angry. You're distracted and you're depressed. You're distracted and you're lost. And God is saying, we cannot be distracted if we want to get to the place that he has 
for us. And this leads me to my first point. And I know what you're saying right now. I thought the sermon was very close to being over. And this dude just said it leads him to his first point. The points is going to go quicker than what you think. But my first point is how long has this battle been going on? Like I told you guys, uh, my mom is right here. She's the one that keeps saying, wow. Every grade that I was in was an issue pretty much all the way until eighth grade. Preschool, issue. Kindergarten, issue. Because I was so easily distracted. Again, those in here who know me, we'll be in conversation. And I'll get to talking and I'll be like, hold on. What are we talking about again? I'm so easily distracted. And it's been like that my whole life. How long is what I'm asking you? Has this battle been going on? This battle, this war? Me and my, uh, uh, my school, we went on a field trip this week. We went to Washington, D.C. And we went to the Korean Memorial. Korean War Memorial. And I went to Washington, D.C. last year with my wife for her birthday. Um, but I didn't get all of the information that I got this time. And if there's any history buffs in here, I apologize if I mess any of this up. So there's 19 soldiers at the Korean War Memorial. And then there's this wall behind these 19 soldiers. And when the sun hits the soldiers, there's a reflection of the 19 soldiers on the wall. And that that equals 38. And the reason why that 38 is uh, important is, I'm going to look at the word, there's a 38th parallel that actually separates North Korea and South Korea. Now this war started in 1950. And they're still at war today. Literally, right now, there's a line in the 38th parallel. And North Korea is on this side of the line. And they got their weapons in hand. And they're staring at South Korea. And then there's someone in South Korea standing in line with their weapon. And they're staring at North Korea. What happened was, sometime after the war, They did not go for a peace treaty. They just went for a ceasefire. Now, I'm going to break that down a little bit in my second point. But my question is, again, how long has this battle been going on? In 1950, they were at war. In 2023, they're still at war. Um, For my math buffs, that's 73 years, right? So that means somebody's great-great-grandfather was in that war, and then that, that person who has a great-great-grandfather that was in that war is still standing in the same war that his great-great-grandfather was standing in. There's so many people in here with what we call generational curses who've been dealing with the same thing that your great-great-grandfather dealt with, that your great-grandfather dealt with, that your grandfather dealt with, that your daddy dealt with, that your mom dealt with, that your grandmother dealt with, because she 
had a problem with alcohol and her great grandmother had a problem with alcohol and now you're an alcoholic and you feel like this is just a battle that my family goes through so it's no reason for me to actually get all bent out of shape because this is just who we are we just have attitudes we just cuss people out that's just who we are as a family but I'm here to tell you that's a distraction of the enemy this is not what God has for his children for your great great grandfather to be fighting a battle and then 75 years later you be fighting the same look my daddy's daddy wasn't nothing his daddy wasn't nothing I'm everything to my children I refuse to be who my great great grandfather was but it's not really a KT thing it's a God thing it's because I was adopted into a new family if anybody knows what the word means when I say that it means you don't have to be who your daddy was because you got a father who is perfect David was nasty. Yep, I said it. <laughs> Solomon was nastier than his daddy. Eventually, Rahab was nasty. All in the same line. Hoes. But somebody in the line of David named Jesus came and said, I ain't got to be what David was. I don't have to be what Solomon was. I don't have to be what Rahab was. I can be like my father and not my great-grandfather. But we get stuck. We get stuck in darkness. But that's what he meant when he said, Lord, you're all I need. As my shepherd, you're literally everything that I want so that I don't get stuck in darkness. It says you make me lie down in peace. When it says green pastures, that pastures word just means peace. You make me lie down where your peace is. When I was standing up in darkness, when I was standing up in frustration, when I was standing up wrestling with you, when I was standing up just just, just dealing with every little thing that's been happening in my life, you said lay down. Don't lay down and rest. Lay down in peace. So that I can walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness. Sometimes God does not save you from the pain or the punishment. But he gives you the spirit to bear it. He gives you the spirit to endure. Because what you look like being without something that he has an endless supply of. What you look like having, like, what you look like coming to my house and being thirsty when my wife buys a 48 case bottle of water every single every other day every single every other day that means every single every other day she buys a whole case of it's 9600 bottles of water in my garage so what you look like coming to my garage 
walking through to get to my living room and being in my house all day, leaving and still being thirsty. Ask the people in my huddle that they leave thirsty. That's the last thing they're going to leave. But we leave the presence of God empty of peace. He has an endless supply of it. You leave with no patience. He has an endless, it's so much patience in his garage. How are you leaving impatient? Just distracted. When you walk through the garage, you were so thinking about something else, you didn't notice the 9,600 bottles of water that you had to step over on your way in. Every time you come to Third Street, there's 9,600 bottles of peace. How are you leaving without it? Because you're distracted. You're walking in still thinking about the issues that you had. You're walking in still thinking about the person who cut you off. Everything in your life is trying to distract you. This is why Corey says, if you can stay off Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all those, if you cannot be distracted while I'm trying to give you the thing. Corey's saying, I'm trying to give you the thing that you came here for, but I know your phone is going to distract you while I'm trying to give it to you. Which leads me to my second point. I hope I'm going fast enough. Don't settle just because you're tired of fighting. I don't know which part of Korea was losing, but one of them was losing. <laughs> and they settled for a ceasefire. Now, there's three different ways to end war. There's a peace treaty. There's a ceasefire. And then there's a, it's like armistice, armistice. One of the words I can't pronounce. What is it? Armistice? Yeah. What school school y'all go to? Malone? Yeah. I went to Walsh. That's why I say armistice. But Serena, you went for a different reason. You, you, you were smart. They said, what's your major going to be? I said, can I, can I say basketball? Is that not it? <laughs> they said, no, coach. Coach, why they told me no? I said, well, just give me whatever. How many of us went to battle looking for peace and walk away with a ceasefire? How many of us have went to the table still with our weapons? Still armed? Still worried. Imagine, imagine, because uh, while we were there, um, the South Korean or North Korean president, one or the other, it might not even be a president. That might be the wrong term. But whoever leads them was there, right? Imagine him showing up to Biden's office with a gun in his hand. Yeah, he like this. <laughs> he just walked in the White House. There to talk about peace with a gun in his hand. Biden ain't going to be thinking about peace. How many times have we entered into the throne room with our weapons still? Still holding on to the thing that we are worried about in the first place. And God is like, are you here to shoot me? How are you still armed? But you're here to talk to me about peace. 
75 years has passed and they're still at war. They're still holding on to the same weapons. And I believe it's because of a lack of hope. Now, the difference between a ceasefire and a treaty, if you haven't noticed it yet, for anybody who, who, who needed to Google it, like myself, is in a ceasefire, all that you're saying is, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of the result of fighting. And when you have a peace treaty, it means that the hostility is going to end. How many of us walk around day by day believing that the hostility is just right there? It's just, it's, it's one person's mistake away. If one of those people at that gate on, on that line in the 38th parallel accidentally lets a shot off, it goes right back to all out war. How many of us feel like that's our life? Our life is one mistake away from all out war again. And all I want to do is just get a ceasefire. Like I, I'm not really looking for a peace treaty with God. I'm not really looking for peace with God. I just want the battle to end. God was telling me when I was, when I was thinking about this, that you would think that David would have been troubled because the Bible tells us that he had, he had trouble on every side, but it didn't tell us that he was troubled on every side. What that means is there was opposition on every side of him. This is the reason why he could not build uh, the, the temple for the Lord. This is the reason why Solomon had to build it because there was trouble on every side of David. But David tells us in Psalm 23, even though there's trouble on every side, I'm not troubled by it. Why? Because his rod and his staff, they protect me. His goodness and his mercy is here to comfort me. The goodness part of the mercy means that I'm loyal. Mm, we serve a loyal God, a God that says something and then does it. But have you been operating in hope or have you been operating in optimism? Optimism is a passive virtue. It means I think it could happen. I hope it can happen. I know what it has to take for it to happen. And I'm going to stand here and wait to see if it happens. Have we been optimistic with our viewpoint of who God is to us? Or have we been show forth or showcasing hope? Now, hope is an active virtue. It means the same thing as optimism, but it says at the end, this is what I'm going to do to ensure that it happens. Optimism waits. Hope moves. This is why the word says faith without works is dead. Essentially, faith without you doing something about what you believe in just makes you optimistic. Some of us have been sitting in darkness, 
having what we believe is faith. We've been sitting in the pig's pen, having what we believe is faith, but never running back to the father. Just imagine if the prodigal son got to a point to where he realized I've wasted everything. I recognize who God is, but I'm optimistic. So I'm not going to live in the pig pen in in, in the fashion that I'm not going to eat of what's here for me. But I'm not going to go back to the father either. I'm going to hope that the father just comes to me. Optimistic. Instead of the hope that got him out of the pig's pen, had him running to the father only to find out that the father was running towards him. And this leads me to my last point, which is in order for any of this to happen, you have to surrender. There's no way for us to get to a peace treaty. There's no way for us to even get to a ceasefire. And for the people who went to Malone, there's no way for us to get to the armistice. Without first surrendering. I want to break down. Can you put that psalm back up there? I want to break down the psalm, the the, the first like four verses of Psalms. So, so verse one says a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. Verse two says he makes me lie down in his peace. Verse three says, he turns me back toward the proper direction. This is what it means when it says he leads me beside quiet waters. Because I was walking in a direction where the waters were not. They weren't on my side. Anybody ever tried to get a drink from that water fountain at school? And you push the button and the waters knock you back into the, to the locker because the water is just like it has too much force. The custodian don't know how to fix it. it. Took a kid eye out. Why is he turning you to a direction where the water is quiet so that he can get you through the problems that you've been dealing with so that you don't stand in darkness? He is asking for us to surrender to him. Give all of our cares to him. Give up all of the distractions that have been bar- like just just being boulders on our shoulders. So that he can care for us. And in his care, he's going to lie us down where his peace is. He's going to turn us around doing in the right direction so that we can walk through the darkness. How can I tell you how to get out of the darkness if I'm still stuck in it? You thought that God got you out of the darkness for yourself. No. Remember we were talking about that map? Sometimes when you have directions given to you, The next time that you're in that space, you don't need to look at the map no more. God has been getting you through the darkness because there's other people walking in the same steps that you are walking in or that you were once walking in. And his expectation is that while you're walking full of hope, you're going to find that person full of optimism. That person who's optimistic, that is standing in darkness, just waiting for God. And you can grab them by the hand and say, no, I know the right direction. I know exactly where we're going. I know exactly what he has for you. Let me take you out of this darkness so that you can feel his rod and his staff is protecting you. So that you can feel his goodness and his mercy is following you. This is the dopest part about it. I'm going to finish up with this. He says, I prepare a feast. I prepare. I got a table full of food. 
in the presence of your enemies. Mm. 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 Anybody here ever ate with somebody you don't like? It says that you're going to be at a table, a feast prepared by God in the presence of your enemies. Could you imagine all the things that are going to be overflowing at that table with a God that has endless supply? That's why the Bible says that your cup will runneth over. It's going to runneth over because God is the one that prepares your table. And when it runs over, Watch how your enemy turns into your friend. Because trust me when I tell you, the person that is your enemy is dealing with the same lack that you have. So when your cup is overflowing with peace, you can give them some. When it's overflowing with joy, you can give them some. When he offers us to eat with him, he's offering us to agree with him. He's bringing us a cup of blessing, not a cup of judgment. God is saying we can't get peace until we surrender. We can't come to his kingdom with our weapons. We have to come to his kingdom empty-handed, expecting that all that we need will be at his throne. Corey said something last week. He said that Jamie was in another room crying for him. And, and she had stopped where she was and just start screaming out his name. But she is the one that left his presence and went into the other room. And he had to, he had to tell her, like, I'm still where you left me. The valley of the shadow of death for these people was the scariest place in the world to be. Mostly because when you're in the valley, it means that you just left the high place. The valley is in the low place. You can't get to the low place without the high place first. So for the people who would be in the valley, they were just at the top. Everything was just all good. And now you're in a place to where you know danger is. But when you're in that place and you know the directions and you have your GPS out and you know that you're not going to be distracted, everything is going to be okay. 